Hi, I'm Gail. Hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts probing discussions each month on Zoom. So visit our upcoming events at womenover70.com and join today. And today we are really pleased to welcome Sarah Guilford, who is 94, to our podcast. Sarah lives with her daughter, Susan, a librarian, and she was referred to us by an earlier guest, Barry Dilly. Mm-hmm. Sarah grew up in Wisconsin and was the third child of four. It was at Antioch College in Ohio that she met her husband. They were married for over 60 years before he passed away 10 years ago. Sarah always thought that she would be a teacher, and she secured a position at Ohio University in their fibers department in the early 1980s. She continued to study fibers, excelled at weaving, clothing construction, and embroidery, and much later became interested in hand paper making. Since 2003, she has had her own paper studio, Paper Circle in Nelsonville, Ohio, and employs two other artists. Her artwork is also displayed on Arts Washington's website. A grant from the Ohio Arts Council has supported a four-year apprenticeship program where Sarah passes on her knowledge of hand paper making, specifically making paper from the bark of the paper mulberry tree to one of the staff. Paper making requires upper body strength and flexibility. Sarah has lost some of those abilities with age, but the apprentice is carrying on wonderfully. Sarah's involved in community affairs and of late is writing about her own personal experiences. Failing vision and hearing do slow her down. But Sarah, you started out in journalism and you ended up in education. (laughs) Can you tell us more about that? I don't know. Journalism was uh, just sort of a a passing fancy that I had when I graduated high school. And uh, when I got to college, they said I had to claim a a major study, and I just thought journalism. And that was one of the recent uh, courses I'd had in high school as a senior. I wasn't really terribly interested in journalism. It was just, uh, it was sort of a passing thing in my mind. And uh, I just kept on taking what uh, whatever interested me in the course offerings. And it turned out to be uh, sort of heading toward education, but I didn't want to be a school teacher for young children, and um, there wasn't really too much left for me to say what my major was. <laughs> uh, but um, there it was just a confused thing because I was confused about my goals in life. How did you get fiber? Well, 
I uh, ha happened to see that there was a, a workshop being offered by one of the grad students at, at Ohio U and decided to take it. Uh, and it was paper making. And uh, so it was, there was something that sort of clicked in my mind and heart with paper making. It just became, I, I was sort of like infected by it. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just kept working toward that end of educating myself uh, as a paper maker. I uh, then uh, joined uh, the International Association. It's called. It was called um, Friends of Dart Hunter at those days, and now it's called National Association of Hand Paper Makers. They changed their name, same group, but they currently every year they they enjoy increase in membership and. Uh, it's international and um, fascinating group. I mean, I really learned a lot by going to the annual conventions and all of the workshops that were offered through that membership. And that uh, uh, got me to travel all over the country for these workshops and enjoy a number of very good artists offering the workshops. And uh, it just uh, kept increasing my understanding of hand paper making. Could you take us through the process a little bit? Well, the process? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to find a fiber that you want to work with. It could be as common as cotton. Oh, and it would be starting with the raw material. Uh, and a much of uh, what I've been doing in, in more recent years is working with the inner bark of, of the mulberry tree, uh, which uh, I learned about when I went to, to, to Japan. I went to Japan in the... Uh, early 70s because my husband was elected as a visiting professor in a uh, burgeoning uh, school in, in one of the cities near Nagoya. And uh, so he took a tour of um, duty there and I went also. And the second time he was uh, <laughs> invited to go there. I also tagged along and continued my relationship with the paper maker I had met the previous time. Uh, it, it, um, this uh, paper maker, um, I know his name. Now I can't think of it. Is that awful? All right. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> uh, he he was in a working in a village near Nagoya where we were in an apartment, and uh, I had to learn to drive those uh, mountain roads <laughs> on the wrong side of the road uh, mm -hmm. to get to the um, paper making studio. It was kind of scary, but I did it, and. Uh, 
I'm really glad of it. Uh-huh. And 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 so when you create paper that way, what what do you have to do to the to the bark? Oh, you um, cut the uh, the uh, year old or not the year old, about nine months old uh, branches from the root of the mulberry tree, uh, and. Uh, you steam the branches to the uh, condition that they can be easily peeled because uh, the steam will sort of loosen the bark from the, the branch. And uh, then uh, inside that bark that's peeled, you'll see a very silky looking white fibers that's on the inside that's what you need to scrape off that uh, branch that white fiber and um, that's the the fiber for the uh, paper uh, paper is uh, the maceration of fibers of whatever in all plant fibers all plants have some fiber in them that could be made into paper. Even in your garden plants you have outside your house or things like you, what you eat, you know, carrots and cabbage and things like that, even onions. Uh, you can uh, make paper from the fibers found in those plants. But they um, the I was telling you about the uh, fiber from the mulberry plant. Um, when you have scraped the inner bark free, uh, you scrape that white silky fiber from the inner bark, then it needs uh, more cooking and pounding. Uh, the traditional method in Japan of pounding the bark is um, pounding the long wooden stick. But it can be pounded with a mallet or um, a stick or anything. And uh, we've used them all in my studio. <laughs> and uh, then you can uh, use a paper making machine the one that I have is um, the uh, wine uh, paper, paper making machine, which is a mechanical machine that turns a wheel on a, a bed plate and, and uh, pounds the, the fiber that's in, in the um, water of the machine. And uh, it's, it produces this, uh, an oblong circle pattern of a slurry of water and fiber. But that is uh, much too strong a, uh, a, a treatment for the fiber from the paper making. Uh, the, the, uh, I can't say it right. From from the mulberry plant, you want something 
less violent and it doesn't uh, it, it has to be beaten to a pulp before you can put it to, into the vat to make paper. However, I have used the um, uh, Hollander beater in my studio very, very lightly so that the uh, pulp is not treated too severely. It, it does uh, prevent hours long beating with a stick, which uh, accomplishes the same thing. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That was very interesting. Very so how is your, Sarah, how is your paper used? What is it used for? Oh, we can use it for anything we decide that can be used uh, for things like writing on uh, with with handwriting that is or typing uh, they can be if it's if it fits the printer in in a modern printer machine eight and a half by eleven then uh, it could be printed in the machine. Or it can be folded uh, with envelope folding. Uh, the traditional look of an envelope can be folded from that paper. Um, uh, it can be used to make the, the um, pages of a book so that uh, printed material can be uh, turned into a book. And it can be bound so that the uh, pages are solidly uh, kept in the book, or they can be loosely bound with, uh, like, uh, a notebook with with metal uh, rings in, in it. You can just put the three holes in the in that paper and and put it inside of an ordinary binder. Mm -hmm. And uh, also you do art on the paper that you make? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, art as a medium of paper has been what I have concentrated on in my own studio. I just had a retrospective of, of major works that I had done many years ago and in paper circle on in our gallery oh uh, the month of june and they they published it online i can't even give you the um the reference for mm -hmm. i'll have to work on that and give it to you later okay all right. I did see the example of your work at the Arts, uh, what is it, the Arts Washington site? No. And that is, you're one of many artists that they are are exhibiting on their site. Oh, I don't <laughs> even know this site. Arts Washington? Arts, W-A, is W-A Washington? Or am I mistaken about that? Artswa.gov. Oh. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, will, I will send that to you. <laughs> That's a good thing you told me. 
Oh, I'll send it to you so you don't have to write it down now. Okay, I'll bring it on. And so uh, how has, you know, you when we talked, you spoke about loss of, uh, of uh, vision and hearing it beginning to affect you. How, how has, what, what is, is that, is it making it impossible to do art anymore or what? what? No, I, I have not felt that I can really do any art anymore, but uh, my eyesight is just going quickly and I see everything quite uh, fuzzy, right? And I have gone to the doctor many times to prove my lenses, and he said, we can only do so much with lenses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I guess I've reached my limit in uh, the lenses uh, change, and so I can't do that. But he has prescribed many different eye drops. I keep using these eye drops daily, but... I don't think they're doing any good. And uh, I had an eye infection that I had to be treated for. I've visited the doctor about three or four times in the past um, 10 months. And uh, it's not quite done yet. My eyes are watering all the time. And if you see me talking to you with tears running down, my face, it's usually because the eyes just plain water too much. <laughs> yes, yes. Is it a form of macular degeneration? Yes, there is the macular degeneration as part of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's tough. It is, it's very difficult. And I gave up driving about two years ago without Susan's assistance here at the home, I um, I definitely would be in trouble. <laughs> I'd have a very restricted life. And um, uh, I do have many friends who have volunteered to take me anywhere. Uh, if, I, if I need a ride somewhere, I can call somebody and get it. It's just an awkward thing. For as far as Susan is concerned, whenever she's able, which is most days and evenings, uh, she can drive me to places I need to go. Has it been difficult for you to learn to ask for help from other people? Oh, it is. <laughs> it is difficult for me to learn. I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that uh, my hearing is also failing. Um, of course, I've been to the doctor many times with that, but uh, I, you know, I guess there isn't that much that can be done anymore. Um, the hearing just uh, fades away. Um, and I do have to have someone speaking to me directing their face to me in order to be able to hear them. And on the, on the computer, it's easy because I'm looking directly at the picture on the computer and the 
the loudspeaker on the computer uh, amplifies the voice loud enough that I can hear what's said to me. Oh, are you? Gail mentioned that you are you're writing, you're doing some personal writing, and that you're part of a writing group. How are you able to to manage the writing part? Um, I I do it on the computer. I have uh, once or twice tried to do it uh, with a pen and paper, but my handwriting is extremely difficult to read. Susan has um, so far been able to decipher what I mean, and. Uh, She's been able to transcribe some of that, but it's um, just better if I would just type it out on on this computer. And uh, I don't try anything very ambitious. It's a page or two of an essay or uh, a reminiscence, or uh, sometimes I'll even come up with a poem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it can be done here on the computer. And Susan, as an editor, is very helpful. She could make it uh, mm. reasonable. Mm. And uh, uh, we can present that when, when the uh, group meets. One group meets weekly on Thursday morning. And uh, there's about eight of us, more or less. Sometimes six of us or six to eight people assemble in a particular place uh, in the, the um, suburban part of this town. And uh, the other one meets uh, um, once a month uh, on Monday nights. Uh, on, Either about two or three people come to my house, and then we have a uh, Zoom screen for the other people who want to be part of it. There's about five or six people there, too, who uh, regularly attend that. There's just a different group of people. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are you writing about? Are you going back into your history or current? Yeah. What, what are you focusing it's, it's on? Mostly my own life, uh, things I remember from my life. Uh, I don't know that much about my family history. I, I could sort of tell you some of the names of my grandparents, whom I, I consciously never met. Uh, the last grandparent who was alive in my lifetime uh, died when I was about two years old, and I don't recall that one bit. My sister uh, does remember that. She about, was about uh, four years older than I, and she does remember that grandmother. But uh, the people earlier... And my grandparents, I, I just don't know who who they were. So I don't have um, much in the line of learning my ancestry. I've been thinking maybe I should try that, but uh, 
there is an an, yeah, an ancestry assistant that I could meet up with in the local uh, library here in Athens, but I haven't done it. Uh -huh. Yeah, and and um, are you still active in community affairs? Well, yeah, if you say community affairs, I think that I've you know, got an unbroken record for about, uh, about 64 years in voting, and every election, and I did already vote in the um, August election this year, uh, early early voting, and, uh, and I haven't missed any elections at all. But what the community affairs see me sort of it filters through with the Quaker community, of which I'm a part, and uh, so well, I I get, I attend the Quaker activities as best I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not on any community political. Uh, party uh, uh, committees at any times lately. I did earlier in my life, but I haven't in the past uh, five or six years anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that you probably have, I know you have, wisdom to impart to our younger listeners. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you would say to them from your vantage point that could be useful? Your younger listeners? All the people who listen to our podcast. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just keep moving. Don't stop. <laughs> and don't give up. <laughs> That's about the best I could say. And I, I'm definitely feel it's necessary to keep my body moving in order to keep myself alive. There's uh, so much um, just older people feeling so many pains in their bones. And I certainly understand that. I have enough of them uh, that uh, they don't move. I'm pretty soon they're sort of um, their bodies sort of three solid. They don't seem to move anymore unless a person works at keeping on moving. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important. I go to a Pilates uh, instructor uh, three times a week okay. and do, do the Pilates exercises as she directs them. And uh, I'll be at one time during the week. I'll I'll actually be in her studio, and the other times it's it's on FaceTime. And she talks to me in my home, uh, from wherever she is. Are you are you able to use the equipment? Pretty well. Not all of it. Not all the time. I. I mean, I rely on Susan to get me out of trouble sometimes. <laughs> um, so, um, 
Susan is very accomplished from the computer because of her training and life. And uh, so I'm very grateful to have that available to me to get over some of the technical problems in this age mm -hmm. of electronics. Yes, right. Catherine, did you have any more questions? Well, I'm I'm kind of, I'm curious about um, you went to college, and I'm wondering was your family education minded? Was it common oh. for for women, young women, to go to college where you grew up? Yeah, yes, not well, not just much in the society, but with my family. Um, my both my parents come from families who uh were populated with teachers and preachers. Both families know that the um, my mother and father each had um, uh, preacher fathers. And uh, then in, in, in years before all that, their parents also did. Now my parents had, had a they they met while they were in college in Tarkio, Missouri. And uh, so the education and the direction of the lives for uh, my parents, the ones before them, and I hear that the ones before that are Muslim. <laughs> but I, I have to learn more about the next generation back. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting. You know, Antioch College, are you graduated from Antioch College? No, I'm not. No. I went two years and uh, because my husband moved to Ohio State University to uh, continue his education, he went and he got a PhD. But um, I went with him, and when I, we lived in Columbus, while well, he was attending and getting his education, is when our children were born. Uh, we have three, and um, so in in this town, I have two of my children, Susan and Ted, and then a uh, second other son lives in uh, Westchester in Ohio, which uh, is about a three-hour drive from here. So I get to see my own children often enough and my grown grandchildren. One of my grandchildren who lives in this town does come over here to have dinner with us uh, pretty often. Well, I'm very glad of that. The other two who live in the area don't usually come over to see me, but anytime I have a birthday, I'll, I'll at least they're invited and they do come. <laughs> they're in their early 30s, late 20s, now those grandchildren. Very nice. So it's wonderful to be, to have family so close nearby. It is good. Yeah. I nice. grew up in, in Wisconsin with no relatives close by at all. <laughs> And so I didn't get to uh, be acquainted with them. Well, I'd always heard as a young child that I had a cousin 
in Chicago, but that was 101 miles away from my home. <laughs> and that was um, a real barrier in those days. Yes. Traveling and in, in my younger life, it's not a thing to be done. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you made up for traveling. I've, yeah. I, have, <laughs> I have made up for it. Sarah? Is there anything else you'd like to say as we're, our time is way too short to be together? Well, my, when, when you mentioned my travels, there's a number of traveling. I'm not only to Japan, but mm -hmm. I have traveled um, to Mexico, I don't think to Canada, really. And uh, I have been uh, in China, Malaysia, Burma. Oh, I forget all the countries. Not, not very much in the European countries. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I did go to Italy. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, my husband and I did take a tour of Europe one time, we we touched on bases in uh, Holland and Germany and Italy, and a, a little bit of France. And, and later on, we did, uh, when we were married 50 years, we went back to, to uh, France and had a celebration on the south coast of France. Oh, how little house would be rented for that. Nice. Sounds romantic. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, we, we can't thank you enough for being on our show with us today and for sharing mm -hmm. your story, Sarah. It's been most enlightening and interesting. Your life has been interesting. And we appreciate your being on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And listeners, thanks to your loyalty, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. This is a good thing. Still, we need more subscribers. So you can subscribe on our YouTube channel, Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, or wherever you find our podcast. And we'll see you next Wednesday. All right. Thank you. Thank you.